Hi, I'm Julie Barth. I'm here with Jerry Deer, and we are the Old Nerd in the Gym podcast. Today we're talking about how Jerry, the old nerd himself, found himself in a gym to begin with. Tell us, Jerry, how did you start this fitness journey? Oh, well, I think if people are looking for some deep, great insight into the fitness world and exercise and such, they should probably turn this off now. (laughs) Go move along. There's nothing to see here. (laughs) Pay no Um, attention to the man behind the curtain. Pay no attention. Um, I was how, you know, I ended up just an old nerdy white guy at the half century mark, very concerned with my future. I started out uh, when I was younger uh, with a lot of health problems. I came out of the shoot with a whole lot of birth defects and all sorts of weird things that I've discussed in my in my columns and on, on the podcast and on the, the blogs. But um, essentially what happened was as I started getting older, I realized watching my other family members like my dad with Parkinson's and he's got diabetes and he was never like a super heavy person or anything like that. Uh, just genetics kind of got in the way. And then my mom with Alzheimer's and she passed away after, you know, about six years with it. Um, and my sister has health problems and my brother. And I, I just watched all that and realized all of that sort of natural stuff is going to be there anyway. And then I came out, you know, with my own problems that were separate from that. And those things are going to start reversing themselves, all the things that people did to correct all of my birth defect issues and things like that. I think that was going to be a real problem. So I just decided, you know, I think I was, I had just turned 49 and a couple of months into that and decided I need to do something about this. I need to try to get myself healthier and, and be more active. And I'm not really a sedentary person anyway. I'm, I'm always on the go, but it's different when you focus that exercise and focus that, that energy into trying to make yourself better. So that's, that's kind of what kickstarted it. So you were looking for a change and to combat your natural genetic Black marks, red flags? Yeah, the dispositions that you may have. And you can't stop all that, obviously. There's there's like a, I don't know what the real real uh, statistics are, but I think it's something like 50-50 if you don't have anything else different that you could get this if you have a genetic for it, whatever that thing is, it's Alzheimer's right. or whatever. But if you have health issues that push you towards that way, like if you smoke or you drink or you're not very active, all those sorts of things will shove you over to that side. So now you're behind the eight ball the whole time. And I'm a lousy pool player. So uh, I think it's something to know that I needed to get out from behind that eight ball um, and get ahead of it because the ball is chasing me at this point. So you had that boulder breathing down your neck and you had to run like heck. Yeah, just when I need another Indiana Jones thing attached to me. I got this boulder chasing me. But you really have to also consider how it went from me trying to get healthier to me helping my dad. And that's where the real sort of not necessarily epiphany, but the realization, I guess, that people don't have support as caregivers for things like that. Uh, they're given physical therapy prescriptions and they're, you know, they're, they go to the physical therapy once a week. And then when they start feeling better, they cut it off. Right. So taking that from this piece over to adding it in with dad, I mean, it, it made a big difference because, you know, my parents were told that I would have a really bad life. I would have, I would not be physically active. I would have all these problems. I even thought at one point I was going to have some sort of mental deficiencies, things of that nature. They thought you would never walk. Uh, yeah, I wasn't supposed to walk. Um, part of that was due to some of the birth defects. Uh, it, my pelvis is sort of off and my bones and my legs are in the sockets a little bit differently than some people. So there were a lot of things I wasn't supposed to do. And, you know, a lot of this came from my mom had epilepsy mm-hmm. and there were certain kinds of drugs that they used that they think led into that. So... Um, that was a little bit different, but they, we don't know how it ended up that way. 
But it left me sort of in the backside of this and trying to figure out how will I get from point A to point B? And they just would sit there and, you know, look at me like, what are we going to do with him? How is he going to survive this? And you're not naturally inclined to hang out with jocks and play sports. You did that as a kid a little bit? God, no. Um, Well, no, I was was on a sixth grade basketball team, which basically they took anybody who didn't want to just go out for recess. Okay. Um, And it it gave me something to do. But, you know, at that time, everybody's little. Right. So it wasn't a big deal. But a moment later, all these boys are a foot and a half taller than me. And just I was very, very late bloomer. Right. So I was not inclined for the gym. No. Uh, I, I hated the idea of going into a locker room because in my experience, the locker room was seen from inside the locker looking out. Yeah, there's a little <laughs> bit of pressure for boys. It's slightly different than girls, I guess. It was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was in my situation, I, I had to deal with the bullying issues and things like that that you go through when you have when you're different or something. And Anybody who's ever gone through puberty remembers what it's like to have to go in the locker room and all the other girls yeah. and boys. They're always different. Way, for some reason. They're way different ahead of you. Than you. No matter who you are, you think they're ahead of you. Um, And in my case, they were very much ahead of me. So it was, I I was a lot younger than some of the people in my my school classes. So I'd started school earlier. So I didn't even have that to bank on. It was just a very different situation. So it was hard to get me even to go, just to go into the gym. So I had to overcome a lot of things. I had to overcome the fear of being in the gym, uh, in the locker room to start out with, because I had to go there and change, do all this stuff. Now you have to remember, I hadn't set foot in a place like this in years. Um, I had a very short membership at a little dive gym when I lived in another city, um, but that didn't last very long, and I, and I felt silly. I didn't have a trainer. I didn't really know what I was doing, and I didn't do it very well. So that's probably a really important step when you do decide to go to the gym, is to pick a gym that you feel comfortable in. Right, and that is that is a big deal because you know most of these big box gyms, they're primarily like meat markets, or at least that's how people perceive them. So you got the buff looking guys and the buff looking women and they don't they don't look like they even need to be there. But there are people like me, like other people who want to go there to do something to help themselves. And it's intimidating. And, right. and even though they, the, the people don't mean to be that way, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just your own insecurity feeds into that. And then you see all these people looking very healthy and everything like, oh, I don't belong here. Right. Um, look for a family gym, mm-hmm. you know, go somewhere where it's, it's primarily families or older folks and, and you'll feel more comfortable. You won't feel like, you know, people just staring in the mirror, lifting weights to look at themselves. You got to remember that if you're at the gym, at least you're lapping everybody that's still on the couch eating Cheetos. <laughs> right. Right. And I took that whole thing, you know, when I started doing that, it needed a focus. It needed a direction because I, I could not get past the idea of going to the gym for the sake of standing there and lifting these weights up and down. I grew up on a farm. When you did weightlifting, there was a bale of hay in front of it, you right. know, it was, or there was a cow holding. You had a practical reason why you had to lift that rope 50 times. Exactly. When you're pulling on this big rope, there was a, you know, a thousand pound animal on the other end of it trying to get him to go and do what you want him to do. Um, so it was a very different mentality. And I was not raised that way. There was nobody around me who did that. So it was a whole different thing to try to just wrap my head around this at 50 years old. You want to try to do something hard, change your whole way of thinking by the time you're, you know, 45, 46, 50 years old and and you're set in your ways and you're just kind of, I'm not that adjustable or I don't do all that change. It's a very different kind of a thing. Making sure that I, first of all, could go in there and do it, alter my way of thinking about it, um, and then just get in there and get started. And that, that was part of the hardest part. And getting into a routine helps a lot. I've found that in my own fitness journey that going every day or every other day and having set times is really important. Yeah, it's the only way. You've got to create a... Uh, people say that you have to create habits out of uh, continuity, you know, so that you, you know you're doing it on a, res- a regular basis. You have sort of a schedule attached to it. Your habit will come from that. 
So the more you do it, the uh, you get more comfortable with it. You know, after about, you know, I was going every day for a long time when I first started because my first thing to do was swimming. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was a terrible swimmer. So <laughs> it was good. I had some help at the time, but it was figuring out that I couldn't do that, but getting more comfortable with going to swim, to, to be in the water, to get used to breathing, all these little things and, and set little milestones for myself. All right, I'm going to go all the way to the other end. And I'm not going to breathe the whole time or I'm going to take so many breaths or I'm just going to get to the other end. I mean, Mm -hmm. at one point, that's only 25 meters. Now it feels like nothing. Next week, I'm not going to use a kickboard. Exactly. Um, And, you know, the kickboard takes nine years to get across (laughs) 25 meters. Basically a boat. It is. It would be easier (laughs) if I had a motor behind me. Um, But you get comfortable with that and you're setting that so you're doing it every day or every other day or something. And that's hard as a caregiver because, you you know, a lot of your time, especially if you're a full-time caregiver, I consider myself a full part-time caregiver, meaning I manage the household full-time, but I don't I don't have to be there every day, 24 hours a day. Like with my mom, I did have to do that. We, yeah, we needed physically somebody. in the location. I'm not physically in the location all the time, but uh, what that does for you is it gives you an outlet. You have to set the time, and it will help you to have that schedule and start creating those habits because then you realize, I think you said something about this at one point, uh, you miss it. Right. You know, when you get there and you've got that schedule going on and, and if you don't do it, you have a, a rest day or something, which I recommend people take that every other day. If you're not used to this, take a rest day. Yeah. I think, uh, especially for me at the beginning, it was like, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to go every day. And then after a week or two, I couldn't move my legs and <laughs> I realized I could have maybe not go every day because my body wasn't quite ready for that. Well, I had to learn not to be perfect too. I mean, you make a good point there about if I didn't make it one day, I felt bad. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I let myself down and you can't do that. It's just go when you can. If you pre-schedule, it makes it easier. And yes, things are going to get in the way. You're not going to have time for XYZ things. You're not going to be able to get it all in. You're Maybe you get to swim one day and the next day you do a physical workout in the gym itself. Or one day you just ride the bike. Who knows? Or maybe you just work with your caregiver at home sometimes. Well, and that's where the rest of this comes in. If you're going to, by taking what I had learned and adapting it to my dad's physical therapy and bringing him into the gym and working with him to keep him more active, it helped me a lot because there's something called caregiver guilt, which is anytime you do something for yourself, you feel like I'm leaving, you're, you're leaving them out. They're, they're not getting something they need because you're being selfish. Well, there's nothing selfish about caring for yourself. Um, you have to be healthy. You got to be active. You got to have mental acuity. You got to have emotional stability just to deal with them. Mm -hmm. So in order to help your, your, your patient, your family patient, you have to be okay with helping yourself first. And by including them in this process, then on days when you go to the gym by yourself or you do a workout on your own, it doesn't feel like you're doing something wrong. Right. Because that's just going to build upon the thing that you're trying to help. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So what would you say are the, well, maybe three most important things you've learned over the last what, two years mm-hmm. in doing this and caregiving? Oh, no, what the would combined, what, would the, it, what were the three most important things? Um, probably, I think that one of the things I learned about the most was getting enough rest. I think that was huge. Um, just sleep because we don't and we're sort of always on. And even if you're not with your, your charge 24-7, you've got this sort of in the back of your head, oh, the phone's going to ring and the life call button's going to go off and he's fallen again or something like that. And you live with this little level of urgency that, mm-hmm. I, that I think I talked about at one point about being like a fireman. You know when that bell's going to go off and you got to be ready to go. Well, even something as simple as a power outage. We, oh. live, we live in Ohio in the yeah. winter and 
even a power outage could be a major issue because the phone doesn't work or the button's not going to work. Right, exactly. Um, we're we're fortunate that um, that we don't have more trouble with that, but we're in a rural community where he lives, so those things do come to be a problem. But uh, and then just be, getting enough rest at all, even when you're there, if you try to take a nap or something when you're in their house or you're or doing something for them, you're still not down. Because worse than that, they're right there. Mm-hmm. So you hear them sneeze, or they, you know, they've gotten up and they didn't ask you or wake you up or something like that. Then they fall. Then you're going to feel guilty, right? Um, so you have to be careful about that too. It's sort of like having a sick baby at home, or yeah, you know, exactly, a sick pet or something, right? You notice that, and and the difference there is that with a child, they're most of the time they're completely helpless in in one way or another, and they're doing things, you know, based under your under your guidance. But an adult patient is going to get up and do whatever they want. Right. If, if they don't have, and I should mention that I only work with people who don't have a dementia issue. Right. So uh, they're, they're fully with it and they mm-hmm. decide they want to go to the bathroom. They get up and go and, you know. And they're also stubborn and they don't choose to I don't ask have for anybody help. in my family like that. Not that's, at all. I, I imagine that's a big problem out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then the next thing, I think probably the next thing you would worry about is um, staying hydrated. You know, and nutrition. Those are the other two pieces of this. And just making sure you drink enough water and, and eat the right food. And that's hard to do when you're taking care of somebody. Because, you know, I mentioned it earlier, my cousin and I were taking care of my mom. And one day I, I remember there was a bag of Oreos on the counter. And I don't remember what was going. There were people in and out all day. And the next thing I knew, that whole bag was gone. We had burned through the whole thing. And that's one of the days I realized, all right, something's got to give, you know. And within the first few months of me doing all of this, I lost about 10 pounds. Wow. Just by being more active. I wasn't dieting or anything. I did cut a lot of stuff out. Just things like soda pop and heavy. uh, I was eating a lot of ice cream at the Mm -hmm. time, like a lot. Because that's really the only sweet I really like on a regular basis. And that's somewhat of that is stress eating. Oh, yeah. You have to be really aware of. Yeah, comfort food. Maybe Grab an apple or a protein bar instead of yeah. It doesn't sound as good, does it? And some French fries, right? That doesn't sound as good for whatever reason. You have to sort of, and and that's where this comes down. You have to really adjust your way of thinking. That was hard for me Mm -hmm. because again, I didn't have that kind of background, and I don't know anybody who does. And the people that I saw doing that were extremists, right? You know, you got the heavy, crazy folks out there that want to bench press five thousand pounds, you know, and they weigh one hundred and twenty stuff like that. So you gotta watch that. Well, I don't think any of us want to reach that professional level, even though we just want to not die. Some of us here are crazy enough to ride 100 miles on a bicycle. Hey, on a you know basis. what? It's interesting that you say that because one of the things that you have to do is set some goals for yourself. And that's something that I had to do in order to stay with this. And my thing was cycling because I had done that before and I'd competed early on, but not in endurance rides or anything. It was in maneuverability. So now I took all this fitness stuff and I aimed it at the cycling. So I had something to shoot for. I've got milestones. And that's the only way you can do it. If you just go in this headlong with no plan, it's not going to work. Got to give yourself measurable goals. Yes. You have to be able to see where it's where it's come. And I don't mean on a scale. You know, everybody thinks, well, I'm going to step on the scale today. You've got the, you know, the weight programs and all that stuff out there with the countered food and all that. Forget all of that. Just we'll talk about nutrition and stuff as we go. But uh, there's a lot of fad nonsense out there. You got to watch that. This is not about calorie counting. It's not about looking at a scale. It's about measurable goals. Like, can I walk up the stairs? without being out of breath yeah. you know things that they may not have a number attached to it but you can tell yeah you sleep straight through the night your 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 breathing is better you feel more calm you take your resting heart rate and it's in the 60s instead of the 80s you know things like that are hugely important yeah little things like that are things that me being a lot more 
novice, I guess, in this mm-hmm. whole fitness thing. I've started a little later than you. Um, just little things like being able to walk up and down stairs or get from one end of the parking lot to another and not feel winded, you know. You know, you've been doing this for a while, getting going and kind of following my lead on it. But one thing I got to say is you have 10 years behind me. Mm-hmm. So you have the opportunity now to be in a much better position by the time you reach my age. And that's what I try to get across to people. There is no there's no good time to do this mm-hmm. just as soon as you can. Right. You know, if you're 55 or you're 35. The time is now. Yeah, get to it. I, I, that's what I had to do. And, and I, I'm not any better than anybody else at this. I'm not good at this at all. I've had to learn all this by example and watching and learning. And, you know, I'm very pragmatic and I don't buy into things. I don't drink the Kool-Aid from anybody. And I don't <laughs> want anybody doing that with me. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. There's a lot of sugar. There's a lot of sugar and red dye number five in there. So be careful <laughs> with that. Um, Nothing against Kool-Aid. No, we love Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. I love Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, but, you know, from the proverbial Kool-Aid, you don't want to chugging down that. You don't want to be chugging down that that jug because there's so many things out there that are just nonsense mm-hmm. there are people trying to sell a book or a fad or something and, and i i promise you as long as i'm doing this these podcasts will be free the blogs will be free we are not gurus we're not anything we're trying to set an example for you and hopefully it'll help you and you know our training will have a fee associated with it but no more than anybody else's we're just regular people who are sharing our knowledge and yep. we have a lot more of that to do. Yeah. There's going to be amazing podcasts to come about water, nutrition, and all these things we've talked about. We'll go into that more in depth. And all we have to say is thank you, Jerry, for being here and get up and get out there. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>